I would say open your Bibles with this morning, but I'm not going to do that today. Rob's going to do that. Rob's going to come on up here. Rob, come on up. Rob Van Way. He and his wife Julie are here and kids and family. And so uh, we heard his story some time ago, about a year ago. And we just loved his story and his convictions and the sacrifice that you've made to do this. We appreciate that kind of ministry, so we support it financially and prayerfully and all those things. So when he said he's going to be in town, he said, I know exactly what I want you to do. Come preach Jesus. Tell us about your story. Rob? Well, Happy New Year. Closer. Can you guys hear me? All right. Well, good morning. It's, uh, it really is a privilege to be here. And, and Kevin, thanks so much for allowing me the opportunity to, to do this. Um, to, to be able to start out the new year, that's, uh, that's an important message to, to try to cast a vision for maybe a year or, or, or to help guide. So I know that was a sacrifice on your part to, to give this one message up. So, uh, And I also know that there's a 12 o'clock kickoff today for the Chiefs game. Uh, so I know the cost of what overtime would be up here. Um, so I'll, I'll, I will be brief with my with my comments. But if I do start to go, just somebody give me one of these and, and I'll make sure I wrap it up. Well, I was, I was driving around um, the other day, just a few days ago, and I was listening to a, a radio broadcast from just one of the local Christian radio stations, and they were talking about uh, first words and last words. Um, they were discussing this, uh, how, how special these first words are for parents, for their children, or for grandparents. Uh, when they hear their, their babies say their first words. And I've got my two little ones over there, and I know exactly, I can relate to that, what they were talking about. And then they talked about last words. The, the words that somebody says, maybe the last time they talk to somebody before they pass away, or maybe your own last words. And they gave some, some pretty significant, profound quotes from people from the ends of their life. And you could hear in their statements a tone of either great contentment with the way they live their life or great regret as they were coming to their earthly end. And that, that just got me to thinking, um, you know, what's, what are my last words going to be? What are, what are your last words going to be? Something to, to think about. Um, and in that same vein of thought, today I'm going to talk about some of God's first words and last words to us, to his church. And so I've titled this message today, God's Vision for His People. I don't have a title slide, so what you see up there is actually the first uh, verse that we're going to talk about. But um, So I'm a military man. I minister to the military, and we use what we call the bluff anytime we start a presentation. So the bluff is the bottom line up front. And, and we do this for a lot of reasons, but primarily it's to save you time. So if you're listening to me and you don't like what I start out with, you know to turn it off. I don't need to keep listening. And so I'm gonna give you the bluff right up front and let you make that decision um, right now. So here's my bottom line up front. That God's vision for his people has not changed since the creation of the world. It remains the same today as it was for Adam and Eve. And it will remain the same until Jesus returns. All right, so now that you have the bluff, I'm able to go into the details of why I can make that statement. And so we're going to look at just two passages, uh, primarily, we're going to spend our time. And the first one's up here, Genesis 1, 27, 28. That's God's first command to man and woman. And the second one that we're going to go into is Jesus' last command 
before he ascends into heaven. But before we go into the scriptures, let's just unite our hearts in a word of prayer. Father, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Would you use it as such in our lives? Would you use it to guide, to direct every aspect, every decision, every facet of our lives, that it would be glorifying to you? Father, we pray this in your name. Would you please use me uh, to speak clearly um, for your glory, Lord? And we pray in your name. Amen. All right, so if you would, please flip in your Bibles to, to Genesis 1, 27 to 28, and it's also going to be up here on the screen behind me, and I'll, I'll read this to you. Here it says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now in this passage, God is telling Adam and Eve to have babies and to do everything that's involved with raising children so that their children can also go and have babies of their own. That's what that word multiply means there. What the Bible doesn't say, what God didn't say was be fruitful and add or be fruitful and increase. If it said that, then Adam and Eve would have been able to fulfill this command by just having one child. But instead, God said, be fruitful and multiply. And that can't happen until Adam and Eve's children were having children. So it can't be carried out by Adam and Eve alone. It's multi-generational, and I want you to hold on to that. This is a multi-generational command that God gives to his people. And we're gonna come back to that in a little bit, but let's go to Matthew, um, uh, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. So if we can go get the next slide, please. All right, so this is Jesus' last command before he ascends into heaven. And it says, Jesus came up and he spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe... <clears throat> teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Here, Jesus is telling them to go and make disciples by going to them, baptizing them, and teaching them to obey Jesus. And if they're obedient to this command, then they're going to experience people who will come to faith in Christ, who will start to walk with him as obedient followers, and they will also go out and do the same for others. Once again, this command is multi-generational. The 11 wouldn't have been able to accomplish this on their own <clears throat> because the command here is to go and make disciples and teach them to obey. So that means every person who comes to faith in Christ also now has this command to obey. So for the 11 disciples to carry out God vision, God's vision, there would have to be downstream generations that would continue to fulfill this command on the earth. I believe from these two passages that God highlights what his vision has always been. But there are some obvious differences just between how Genesis 1 is carried out and how Matthew 28 is carried out. So let me, let me uh, describe, explain why I say these are the same. So in Genesis 1, Adam and Eve would have fulfilled this command through their physical descendants, right? Their babies had to have babies. But God's vision 
when he gave this command wasn't to just fill the earth with people. And we know that because God wouldn't have wiped the earth clean of people and started over with just one family again. If his, if his intent was just to have people on the earth, then he wouldn't have had any reason to do that. So he had a different purpose for giving that command. I believe that purpose was to fill the earth, not with people, but with his own image. See, the Bible tells us that God made them in his image. They were the perfect representation of God. There was nothing that was imperfect in them. God said that they were very good. And so that meant every time that they had children, they were adding to God's image on the earth. And every time their children had children, they would multiply God's image on the earth. That would have brought God glory as, as his creation remained perfectly in his image and perfectly obedient to him. But we all know something happened in Genesis 3, the fall. Adam and Eve sinned, and when they sinned against God, they were no longer in God's perfect representation. They were characterized by their sinfulness, their disobedience to their perfect creator. From that moment forward, now every time they had a child, that child would be born into the image of sinful Adam and not perfect God. But that didn't cause God to not envision a world filled with his image. He still planned to multiply his image on the earth. And for some reason, he still planned to use people to do it. He would have to change the methods a little bit to achieve that because it wasn't gonna be just through physical people anymore. So God, at that point, set in motion his redemptive plan to bring his people back into the perfect image of God. And that would be fully revealed in Jesus 4,000 years later because he was, once again, the perfect representation of God on this earth. And when he came and gave us this command to go and make disciples, that's how we're able to restore people into that perfect image of God. Because when somebody puts their faith in Jesus, they're reborn into the image of Christ. Um, that 2 Corinthians 5.17 down here, man, that, that was the first passage I ever memorized in the Bible. And uh, so true. We are not alive anymore. It's Christ who lives in us. The image of God is in us, man, because Christ and what he did on the cross. So I think these two passages together so easily summarize the entire vision that God had in creating people to fill the earth with his image and his glory. The reason that we can stand here today and talk about uh, what, and talk about Jesus is because those 11 disciples took this command seriously. They went and made disciples and they passed that on to others. And those disciples of Jesus went and passed that on to others. They made more disciples of Jesus. They did that for 2,000 years. That's why we're here talking about Jesus today. And if Jesus doesn't come for another 2,000 years, that's what we're to do until he returns. We are to continue to go and make disciples of Jesus who will continue to make disciples of Jesus. It's, it's so simple, and yet it's such a daunting task for us, his church, to go and make disciples of all nations. And, and the stakes are high in this. Uh, Judges 2.10 is, uh, if you can throw the next slide up there, I think this is 
the, one of the saddest passages in all the Bible. This was a generation that got it wrong. Uh, and there were some, some significant consequences. So, you know, the book of Joshua is, is the, a great book of victory. God brings his people into the promised land. And this is how the book of Judges, the very next book, starts. And it says that, <clears throat> um, it's talking about Joshua's generation. Uh, these, this is the generation that was led by God in a pillar of fire, a pillar of smoke through the wilderness. Uh, this was the generation that was brought into the promised land. This was the generation that saw the walls of Jericho fall down. But what they didn't do was they didn't talk to their own children about what God was doing. In Judges 2.10, it tells us that all that generation were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord. And then the whole book of Judges is then God choosing one person, raising him up so he can bring back, start bringing back the, the knowledge of God on the earth. That was an entire generation who didn't know the Lord because the previous generation didn't make him known. To me... The focus, the answer to this is a focus on missions. We as God's people have to have a focus on missions if we're ever going to see this command carried out. If we're going to be obedient to this command, every one of us, we all have to be missionaries for Christ. We have to put our hands up and say, I will be a part of what you are doing, God, in the earth. I'm going to do it for your namesake and for your glory. For some reason, God chose us sinful people saved only by grace to go and bear his image and to multiply his image on the earth. I'm not as smart as God. I wouldn't have done it that way. I would have chose something way more dramatic and a lot faster than using imperfect people. But God's plan A was to use his people to do this. And the Bible makes it pretty clear. God did not make a plan B. So all of us are experts at making excuses. I am. I'm the first one to say that I'm not good enough to do something, that I'm not smart enough to do something, confident, or I have all kinds of reasons why I don't want to push forward and do that thing that's uncomfortable, to go talk to somebody I don't know about Christ. Um, other people did that before us. Moses tried it. Gideon tried it. Isaiah tried it. God wasn't having it. He wasn't going to take our excuses. And let me remind you that the 11 disciples that God or Jesus gave this command to, they were uneducated, untrained. They were fishermen, tax collectors, just ordinary Jewish people. But they did know Jesus. And they were all in on what Jesus was doing. They were all in. And that's why they turned the world upside down. Because they believed Jesus. They took it at his word. Now, when I talk about missions, what I'm not saying is that we all need to quit our jobs, that we all need to go and cross an ocean, that we all need to learn a new language, that we all need to go to a new culture in a faraway country in order to be obedient to what God has called. Now, there are some that are going to be international missionaries. People have to go to all the nations. God's got nations on his heart. But I don't think that's for most of us. God, I think, has called us, all of you, to be missionaries right here in your communities. God's already planted you. Just as those 11 were ordinary Jewish people, 
You guys are God's ordinary missionaries. We are God's ordinary missionaries right now to reach your neighbor for the sake of Jesus, for making his name known. You're God's ordinary missionary right now to reach your coworkers for the sake of Jesus, to multiply God's image on the earth. You're God's ordinary missionary to reach your children, your parents, your siblings, your banker, your grocery store cashier, your garbage worker, your plumber, anybody that you interact with. You're God's ordinary missionary to reach that person for the sake of multiplying God's image and glory on the earth. And Jesus made it clear it wasn't just about conversions. So what missionaries, we as missionaries can't do is just go out and share the gospel and see people come to Christ and leave them and go find the next person. If we're going to be obedient to this command, it's multi-generational. God's missionaries are to walk alongside brothers and sisters in Christ and help them grow in the faith, build them up to a mature man in Christ so that they can go out and do the same for others. We can't forget that aspect of it. <clears throat> we, we gather together in bodies and churches so that we can continue to be built up so that when we scatter out of the building, God's people go on mission. This is a pep talk every single week that we get so that we can go out and be bold for the sake of Christ. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to land this plane with just four, we want to end it with something practical. I've got four simple ways that you can get involved in missions that, ha that can have an impact both locally and internationally right here from independence. So the first one is pray for missionaries and mission fields. Right, you can do that from right here. You can do it in your house. You can do it while you're driving in your car. Um, so Julie and I, obviously we're missionaries. We're missionaries to the military. That's our mission field. We live at Fort Bragg. There's 60,000 active duty soldiers. If you include all their families and children, there's about 200,000 people that work in and around the Fort Bragg area. It's a big mission field. And you know, we've, we've brought these little army men, and if I can have you pass these out, this is just a physical reminder to, to pray for the men and women in uniform. Pray that they would come to know Christ, that they would walk with him. Pray for Julie and I and for all the people that are, that are ministering to try to reach soldiers, men and women in Christ. We all have busy lives and it can be so easy to forget to pray. So we use physical reminders. So put that someplace in your house or in your car where you'll see it. And when you see it, just say a little prayer for this mission field. That's one quick way to get involved right now with what God is doing. Number two, catalyze a heart for missions in others. All right, so number one's about us individually. Let's lift up our prayers to the Lord. Number two is about helping others to do the same thing. So as I look around the room, I suppose many of you have either children or grandchildren, like talk to them about bringing the message of Jesus to those people who don't know him, both locally and internationally. That's one way that you can start to catalyze this heart for missions in other people. 
If, if you're part of a Sunday school class or a Bible study or a bowling league or a bingo group, you can talk to that group about praying for the nations, praying for missionaries. That'll help to catalyze a heart for missions in other people. I think the more that we talk about missions, the more God is going to turn our hearts to be the hands and feet of Christ to some of the most unreached people in the world. So in our community, one of the things we've done is uh, we started this uh, towards the end of last year is we just said, hey, every time we gather together, we're always going to pray for a nation, for a people group. And we don't think too hard about it. We don't do a lot of research. We unroll a world map. We put it up on the stage and we just ask somebody to come up and point out a map, point out a country and just pray. Pray for two minutes for that country. And we do that as a community. And we do it every time we gather. So we're doing it three, four, five times a week. We're just trying to catalyze a heart for missions in other people. One of the ways we also do that with our family, there's, this, um, there's an app called the, the Joshua Project's Unreached of the Day. It is such a useful app so that you don't have to do any of your own research. Uh, but every day it sends you a people group that is one of the most unreached people in the world. And so today it was the, the Japanese people that live in Sweden. Like that's how specific it gets. And as I was praying this morning for Japanese people who don't know Jesus in Sweden, I'm asking God to send missionaries there. I'm asking God to open up their hearts to receive the gospel of Jesus. My wife does this uh, each morning uh, with our kids at breakfast and we have a globe on our table that she gets to show them where in the world this people group is and then prays for them. Yeah, we get to lift up prayers, but we also get to catalyze a heart for missions in our own children. That's one quick way to get involved right now. All right, number three. You can take the message of Jesus to refugee communities right here in Kansas City. God has brought the nations to our doorstep. That's one of the advantages of being the, the strongest economic country in the world is people want to come here. And when they come here, they come with whatever knowledge they had before. And a lot of people are coming from countries that don't have access to the gospel. We have an opportunity to reach them. We can be faithful to the people God has brought right to our door. And uh, Kevin's told me you guys are, there's an initiative you guys are going to some apartment complexes and doing some outreach. That is such a great uh, opportunity. And uh, man, we've got some pretty cool stories of doing that at Fort Bragg. We, we go through every single barracks, which really is just an apartment complex, uh, and we knock on the doors and we invite soldiers to come and explore the Bible with us. And the number of people that have given their life to Christ and have said, man, I have never heard the gospel of Jesus. Growing up in you know, rural Iowa my whole life and I never heard the gospel of Jesus. Um, so get out there, be a part of that. Uh, God will do uh, miracles through your obedience of just being out there and being bold to try to reach people for his namesake. All right, and the last one, number four. Send and sustain missionaries in the mission field through financial support. So, as you guys know it, uh, missionaries are donor supported. And that means that there are people and churches that keep them in the field. They're able, that keep them there to minister full time. And you guys have done that and been a blessing to Julie and I, to our family, to allow us to continue to just uh, reach soldiers for the sake of Christ. Um, 
of all the money that goes to, to churches in the United States, only 6% of that actually goes to missionaries to keep them in the field. So you can be a part of increasing that um, right now. Um, yeah, to keep missionaries out in the field. So that's, that's four ways to, to get involved right now. God may call some of you to go overseas long-term. I pray that that would happen. Like we are praying that God would do that from our ministry. And that's why we're trying to catalyze a heart for missions so that God might put that on some people's hearts. It's, it's on God's heart. The nations are on God's heart. They've always been on God's heart. And so we can't lose track of that either. But I think the first step each of us has to do is put our hands in the air and say, God, I'm willing to be your missionary right now, right here where you have me planted, in the community that I'm a part of. I want to be a part of what you're doing. So I want to leave us with just two more verses, and then we'll close it up. These are two promise verses that God gives us in the scriptures about what he's doing. So the first one from Habakkuk 2.14, it says that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Anytime God says will be in the scriptures, you can take it to the bank because that's a promise. God says it's going to happen. Matthew 24.14 says this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. That's a promise. God says when, that, when the message of Jesus gets out to all the nations, then it's time for Jesus to come and bring the culmination of his kingdom. That should excite us. That's something we want to see happen. I pray that that could happen in our generation. But if he doesn't come for another 2,000 years, I at least want to know I did my part to keep this message going forward to the ends of the earth so that the generation after us can keep pushing the ball down court, can keep being obedient to Jesus. So God said he's doing it. There's no doubt about it. We can either be a part of it or we can choose to ignore what God is doing right now around the world. That's our choice. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for how it has guided and changed my life as I've come to know who you really are. Father, thank you for transforming me. That The life I live isn't my own, but it's Christ who lives in me. Father, I don't know why you chose to use us to multiply your image in the earth, but I believe you. And, and I'm willing to go out and do whatever it takes to be a part of what you're doing. And Father, would you empower this community, fill us all with the Holy Spirit, that we would be bold, that we would be clear of what the gospel is, that we would take the message of Jesus, uh, that we would transform Independence, Missouri, right here. And would we do that this year, Father? Would 2023 be the, the best year to date um, as you move through this people to make a difference here in your community, but not for our sake, not for our glory, Lord, but for yours, for your image, to multiply your image, your likeness on this earth. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Rob. Nate's going to come and lead us in a hymn of invitation.
Rob, will you be available for Q&A for a few minutes? Okay. I volunteered him for that. You know, so he'll be back there with Julian. They can talk. And uh, Good word, Rob. Thank you. Why don't you stand with me as Nate leads us. Again, thank you. It's a good word. Dave, would you come and lead us? Let's pray. God, as we enter this new year, we oftentimes make decisions and resolutions, knowing that ultimately most of them will fail. But there's one decision that we as Christians have made that will not fail. And that's trusting in your Son as our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we thank you for your blessings. We thank you for opportunities that are given to us to tell others about Christ. Knowing that we can do all things through him who strengthens us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.